I'd like to read to you today a portion of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. It's in the second chapter, starting with the 11th verse, and he's talking about being one in Christ. He's speaking, of course, to the Gentiles, of which we are, but he's talking about all those things that have been removed so that we indeed might be one in Christ. And this is what Paul writes to the church. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you once, who you once, now you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might also reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and preached peace to you who were near. For through him we both have access to one spirit, to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The Christian church has been the cornerstone of American life for umpteen centuries. But in the last 20, 25, 30 years, Americans are attending church less and they're worshiping outside the walls of the church. The millennial generation of which we speak so much about has a great skepticism and a cynicism, if you will, toward organizations in general and in particular the church. I mentioned last week to you that there is a broad secularization toward Christianity in the American culture and an agnetism, agnetism, antagonism, ah, you know what I'm saying, toward faith. Churches everywhere have shown a dramatic loss in membership. The United Methodist Church in and of itself about two years ago showed a loss of about 67,000 members in one year. We've closed several churches, hundreds of churches actually, started a handful of others, but we still show a decline in worship and in Sunday school attendance. And unfortunately, the United Methodist Church is not the only one that's being affected by this. The Episcopal Church has experienced about a 17% decline. The Christian Church or the Disciples of Christ have dropped almost 30%. The Presbyterian Church has experienced about a 25% decline. 
And the Southern Baptists have experienced the smallest amount, about 8%, but they have a lot of inner conflict just like all the rest of us do, which doesn't bode well for the future of the church. And yet even with all those sobering statistics, if you go back to the Barna Research Institute, who do an awful lot of studies, religious studies, you will find that almost 73% of Americans identify themselves as Christians. 73%. And almost the same percentage, 72%, agree that religious faith is still very important in their lives. There is a multitude of cultural and secular problems that add to the uncertainty and the confusion of the church. And a lot of times I think we as the church spend more time dwelling on our faults, on our mistakes, or on our shortcomings instead of lifting up that which is really important, defending the body of Christ and how we have significantly shaped the world and defending the Word of God as being the guide to the way we should behave, not simply to ourselves, but more importantly to others. You know, I still believe that Scripture about loving your neighbor as yourself is the greatest panacea that we could ever experience. And we could spend all day and come up with thousands of reasons of why we don't do it, won't do it, can't do it. But like Wes pointed out, we have to be about loving one another. And Christ has given us the perfect example, and I don't know of any better example in the last 2,000 years, or for that matter, in the whole history of mankind. The mission of this church, of every church as followers of Jesus Christ, remains the same. You'll find it at the end of Matthew. He gave this to his disciples. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit's teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, that's the part of the Scripture that I think we leave off. We get so wrapped up in the world changing around us or the culture changing around us, we forget that He is with us always. He is still with us. God is still in control. God is still running the ship, and His divine plan is still in motion. You know, when I decided to give this sermon, this state of the church, I didn't want to be like a CEO standing in a bunch of front of a bunch of stockholders telling you what's great, what's poor about the church. But I think it's important that we share some things here in the church and then that we share a vision for what the future holds for Centenary United Methodist Church. We're over 200 years old. 200 years old. And yet we continue to grow and to prosper. The past year, we've had an increase in attendance. We're up to the average of about 301, 302. We've had an increase in membership. We've even had an increase in giving, which is absolutely fantastic. I won't tell you how much, but we've had an increase in giving. We have a beautiful facility, a gorgeous facility that cost a lot of money. And yet today, as I stand before you, our debt is below $60,000. And there is no reason in the world why we can't pay that debt off this year. From millions to 60000 and that glory goes to God from you by what you have given. On the surface, signs are good. But I want to talk to you about a few other things that I see 
that I vision as your senior pastor. First of all, I want us to be a church that not only touches the heart, but touches the mind. That touches the strings of our heart, but also touches the reason of our mind. I envision a constant and a continual pursuit of dynamic, evolving worship. We should always be trying to give our very, very best in this church. Everything we do should be about attention to detail and doing the things that truly give glory to God. We always need to be saying we are giving our very best to the Lord. And that starts with me. And I understand that and I accept that responsibility, but it includes all of us. We can talk about the music, we can talk about preaching, we can talk about teaching, we can talk about hospitality, we can talk about our ushers, we can talk about our audiovisual. We should always be doing our very best, and where we're not, we should learn from that and try to do even better. Our experience in worship should be second to none, because we should want to be giving our best. And I remind you, this is not a performance. We're not up here seeking Oscars or Emmys. We are trying to create a dynamic environment in which people can come and be touched in the heart and opened in the mind that they might know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that everyone who listens in worship might draw a closer relationship with God. And it's not just about worship. It's about Sunday school classes. We have a wonderful group of Sunday school classes, great teachers, great leaders, and I challenge them each and every Sunday to continue to teach with a passion to teach out of his word, to ask the hard questions, and to ask for the answers from all the people who are there in the class with you. We have a wonderful Sunday school. Did you know Sunday school is perhaps the most important entry point in the entire church? When people come and visit, they may come to the service and say, oh, that was good music. That was a pretty good sermon. But it's when they come into that intimate group setting And you start talking about the Bible, and they share their stories, and you share your stories, that they really get to know who you are. You can tell people that you're a friendly church or a Bible-believing church, but until you show it in an intimate fashion, it's all for naught. And our Sunday school classes are where that begins. We have a wonderful, wonderful children's education. Jill does a fantastic job. Jeff does a great job with the youth, but we still have a lot more work to do. There are places where we can do better. There are places where we can do new and different things. Seems like when they're about 16 and they get their driver's license, we lose them. We lose them. Is that par for the course? Do we just accept that, or do we find new and different ways how to engage our 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 years olds? that they might have a place to come and gather, that they might seek Jesus Christ with others, that they might have a firm spiritual foundation that doesn't just disappear at age 16. That's a good reason for our Wednesday night programming. I hope we don't just come to eat. I hope you take advantage of some of the studies. Steve and Debbie and Sean and mine. It's a place to learn. It's a place to gather in fellowship. It's a place to ask the hard questions. I can serve you meatloaf any day of the week. Come to my house. No, don't do that because Lori's over there looking at me right now. I want you to be part of an educational process too. I want you to be part of that intimate time, not just Sunday morning, but Wednesday evenings as well. I want us to be a praying church, a church that gets down on its knees. I'm not saying we're not praying, but I think we can pray more. I'd like to see us develop more prayer chains. 
I'd like to see us have groups in prayer, not only for individuals, but the church as a whole and where we're going. There's great power in prayer. But sometimes we don't always take the time. Who gave me an amen back there? Amen. You're right. We don't always take the time. We don't always find the reason. We can think of a thousand reasons we don't need to pray until we need something from God, and then we find the floor real quick with our knees. I want to be a praying church. I want to be a growing, nurturing church. I want to go out and to visit. And that's not just the senior pastor and the associate. That's all of us going to visit our neighbors, being intimate with our neighbors, being in relationship with those as a part of our congregation or those that we don't even know, whether it's hospice or whether it's a a home care, whether it's a housing facility, to visit, to put some time in, to be a nurturing, visiting congregation. All of these things are included in dynamic, evolving worship in the church. All of them. And that brings me to a second point. We're missing a big group in this church. A big group. I've talked to you about this before. We're missing the millennial generation between about 20 and 35. Our millennials have taken a rather negative view to organized religion, organized church. Now, I didn't say all 20, 30-somethings because we have a great group of 20, 30-somethings here. And I've spent some time with them in the fall, and it was my honor and my privilege to be with them, and we will do more. But they're not all there yet. And we have to listen to them. We have to open our ears because whether we like it or not, they are the church of tomorrow. This church is going to be under their leadership and under control sooner or later, and you better hope there are a lot of them here. We need to continue to listen to our young adults and better understand exactly what they are seeking in spiritual growth and in Christian service because they are tomorrow's church. It doesn't make any difference what preaching style or music or whether we have lights or audiovisual or whatever. We've got to use all of those things, whatever will gather people in this church to listen to the Word. You know, church changes with every generation. You know that as well as I do. We do not worship the same way our parents or our grandparents worshipped. Matter of fact, my grandparents would probably turn over in their grave if they saw some of the things we do in worship. We don't worship the same way. And you can rest assured that the generations behind you are not going to worship in the same way either. So let's talk. Let's understand. Let's see where we can meld together. Let's see where we can establish a foundation together so we can turn this church over and lead it into the 22nd century. We need to be aware of what they need as a generation and what their children need. Somebody brought up to me today in Sunday school, you know how you get to the millennials? You get to their children first. You get the kids. You get the youth. And when they start yelling at mom and dad that they want to go to church, sooner or later the parents will do anything to keep them quiet. And that means bring them to church and hopefully they'll come too. We need to concentrate on our kids. We need to concentrate on our youth. And we need to have open ears to hear. I've told you this before, but I will tell it to you again. The message, the mission, and the Messiah all stay the same. The message, the mission, and the Messiah all stay the same. But how they are fulfilled changes from generation to generation to generation. We need to be aware of that and cognizant of that. As a church, we need to be welcoming to find the common ground through a common Savior, Jesus Christ. 
That brings me to three and four. I want us to be a missional church. I'm not saying we're not now, but I think we can be more of a missional church. And I thank Wes for sharing today. I don't want us just to put dollars in the plate. I want us to truly be involved with mission work. Now, we may not be able to go halfway around the world like Wes, but there are things we can do in our country. We support the Ramses and the Heinzes down there in Atlanta. Let's go down to Atlanta. I'm ready for a road trip. How about you? And that's not just to see what they do. That's actually to be involved in their mission work. Aren't you getting ready to go to India, Quentin? Okay, we can go with Quentin. We can be involved in reaching out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't even have to go past our back door. We have a lot of missional opportunities right here in the Danville community. We can do things to show the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. You got it? By baby bottles, we can fill those up with money, but that's always easy. How about going down and and passing out water on a hot August afternoon down there in the middle of Danville? You don't even have to say anything about Jesus. Here's your water. How about taking VBS to one of our lower-income communities in Danville and showing the love and grace of Jesus Christ by what we do for children who probably have never even heard about Jesus? I hope we go on a mission trip. I would like to take all of you to the Holy Land. If you've never been to the Holy Land, that's a place you have got to go because literally the Bible comes alive. When you walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, you are never the same again. The words on the paper jump off. It's different. It's new. You're revitalized. You are never the same. But I hope we go on a mission trip too. I hope we do things just like BIM does. When they went down to North Carolina, I want us to be involved past these walls in missioning to people. Is that a word? Missioning to people? Spreading the gospel, showing the love. And that brings me to the fourth point, discipleship. You know what the mission is. We're to make disciples. If we are not making disciples, if we're not bringing people to Jesus Christ, we're failing. We're not fulfilling the mission. We are not doing what Jesus asked us to do. We have a RISE program. It's in its infancy. We're not ready to implement it yet. It's a foundation from which we will build off of probably in 2019. It's something that Mike left us with. But it's a great foundation for which to go out and to make disciples in Jesus Christ, to establish the necessary relationships and show people the love and the grace that is Christ. And I'm not talking about dollars in the plate, and I'm not taking words out of your mouth. I'm talking about boots on the ground. I'm talking about doing something. I'm talking about actually being involved. And you don't have to go very far. The unchurched are right around the corner. The mission field is wide and deep, right around the corner, and we can do it. I want us to be a discipling church. Someone once told me, and you know this, you know this adage, people don't care what you know till they know how much you care. People don't care about what you know till they know how much you care. From a missional aspect, I want people to know that we care. I want to reach out and be the hands and feet of Christ. And we'll start in Danville, and we'll see where that leads us. Lastly, I want to tell you a quick word about the United Methodist Church. And perhaps there were some of you coming today when you said the title of the sermon and the state of the church. You said, he's going to talk about the United Methodist Church. No, not today. I want to talk about Centenary. But a quick word is that I love the United Methodist Church. I love the Wesleyan theology upon which our doctrine is based. 
I love the characteristic of social justice that we have, the ability to reach out to those who are unable to help themselves in our community, in the country, around the world, to reach out to those who don't look like us, sound like us, smell like us, have what we have, but to do something to bring justice and equality to their lives. I love the United Methodist Church. I'm reminded of Isaiah 45, chapter 40, verse 5. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. All flesh shall see it together. There's no delineation of color or geography or language. All flesh shall see it together. No one knows what the future has in store for the United Methodist Church. I know a lot of you are concerned and about the debate of the way forward, but nobody knows what the decisions will be that are handed down or what the ramifications will be that ensue. So until that time, I want to embrace the connectedness I want to focus on the united portion of the Methodist church that is defined to us as a denomination. I want to, for us to continue to honor our commitment and our covenant to the church around the globe. We'll be giving 8% of our general offering in 2018. We'll be giving 9% in 2019. And we will be giving our tithe 10% in 2020. It is a way of honoring the commitment that we have and a covenant with the church as a whole. I want us to embrace the united portion of that Methodist church and to remember that we are not alone as believers in Jesus Christ. We are here to lift up one another and to make a difference around the globe. Around the globe. That's my vision. That's my vision for Centenary United Methodist Church. To some of you, it may be a laundry list of things that we might accomplish. I see it as a list of dreams, a list of dreams that God is leading us to accomplish. I want us to redefine the church, even in the midst of the changes of our culture and of our society, that we still might be making disciples, that we still might be showing his love. We need to be a community that produces spiritual growth and Christ-like behavior in everything we do. Everything. I love this church. And I believe that each and every one of you love it also. I want us to do the very best. None of us are perfect. All of us will make mistakes. And I'll raise my hand before any of you do. I'm sure I'll make mistakes. But I want us to do everything possible to glorify God and bring honor to his kingdom by what we do in and through this church. As I close, I want to tell you this. I think the thing that excites me most about the church and specifically about Centenary, although I've run into it before, is the power that the church has to change lives. To change lives. I could tell you lots of stories I'm sure Quentin could tell you lots of stories. Mike could tell you lots of stories. People whose lives are different from day to night or night to day. They came here in darkness, but now they're in the light. 
I have a very good friend who passed away several years ago, Don Smith. He and Mia were members of my congregation at Trinity United Methodist Church in Covington. And one day when we were playing golf, Don shared with me these words, and I've paraphrased to an extent. Don was not a churchgoer. He didn't really believe in God or Jesus. He just went through the actions. He just went through the motions. How many do the same? But this day on the golf course, he said these things. He said, Scott, I came to the church an alcoholic, but the church still accepted me, and you've still accepted me. I'm still an alcoholic, but the church still loves me, and you still love me. And praise God. Things are getting better each and every day because of the church. Because of the church. That's what the church is all about, folks. We are not a fortress where the saints reside getting ready for battle. We're not a castle where we never allow the outside world to break in. We're not a bank vault where we hide all of our beliefs under lock and key. What are we? We're a hospital for sinners. We're a recovery room for the broken. We're a place, we're an oasis. We're a place where people can be renewed, redeemed, enlightened, where they can go back out in life with more hope, more direction, and I hope a lot more love because they've been here to church. And they've been around you, and they've been around God. God accepts all of us exactly where we are, but he doesn't leave one of us there. He wants us all to be changed. He wants us all to be different. He wants us all to grow. And then he gives us the abilities to inspire to inform, to excite, and finally to make disciples of Jesus Christ, believers in Jesus. That's my vision. That's the church that I long to be a part of. That's my dream for the church. And I pray that it is your dream as well. Would you bow your heads with me?